Hello, it's Chris Haney, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And here we are, February of 2019, almost time for spring training and another season of Royals baseball. How you doing? It's Davo, and I'm glad you're along for another edition of Clubhouse Conversation. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. And today, it's a former Royals starting pitcher from the 1990s. He was here for the majority of the 90s, actually, and I'm talking about lefty Chris Haney who was in the Royals rotation from 92 to 98. While with KC, Haney won 33 games in 99 starts, came over, if you backtrack, from the Montreal Expos. So Montreal took him in the second round of the 1990 draft. Then the Royals made the trade to get him and Bill Sampin back in August of 92, giving up Sean Barry and Archie Corbin. And Chris, of course, comes from great baseball genes. Many of you probably know that his father, Larry, was a big league catcher for 12 years. Also had a cousin who played in the big league. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about his times coming up in Montreal. Of course, a special emphasis on his Royals days. Lots of interesting things about Chris Haney, who joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation. Chris, first of all, thanks for taking the time to join us here this morning. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Everything's going well. No complaints. Good. Well, what's keeping you busy in 2019? I spent a lot of time following my son around. He's playing baseball at William & Mary. Um... I own part of a tractor dealership and kind of deal with that off and on, mostly on. And then I also have a baseball facility on the farm and do some baseball stuff there. Oh, great. So you're staying involved with baseball then. That's great. And uh, and William and Mary, that's what, Colonial League? Is that right? Yeah, Colonial Williamsburg. Now I'm losing you. There you go. Now I got you. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Tough reception out there. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, it's been a few years, but were you excited to see the Royals back in uh, in 2014 and 2015 in the World Series? Yeah, really happy for the organization. You know, it's my favorite organization I played with, and, you know, to see them get back to that after 85 was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was much needed. We exercised the demons. Well, um, <laughs> before we take a step back in time, so I found out when I was researching this interview that the guy that invented Trivial Pursuit is also named Chris Haney. Did you know that? I had been told that. A Canadian guy, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, I had been told that. Have you ever played a, a Trivial Pursuit game before? Yeah, not very good at it, but sure, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, it's, it's the little things in life you find out. Well, let's go way back uh, and let's look at your entire career, um, starting with childhood way back in the day. So uh, you were born November of 68 in Baltimore when your dad was playing there. I'm assuming, and then uh, you moved to Virginia for high school, but you were in Milwaukee before that. Kind of take us through your childhood and where you lived. So I grew up a baseball brat. Um, actually, David Howard's father and I were together in Baltimore, and my mom was pregnant my, my dad's last year there, so they waited until I was born so she could stay with her doctor and then move back to our home, which is in Virginia. Um, Virginia was always a home base when I was growing up, just like it was when I played, and then we would you know, go about and out to wherever dad was. So okay. I grew up in Oakland, you know, living there when he was there. And then obviously the bulk of his career finishing Milwaukee went, you know, went to school out there actually. 
um, during only during the season, um, and it would always you know kind of migrate back to Virginia. Okay, that makes sense. And then, so you mentioned yeah. your dad, uh, your dad Larry, of course, caught twelve years uh, in the big leagues for Baltimore, Oakland, Milwaukee, St. Louis. There, um, so I'm sure uh-huh. you've been asked this question a million times. But you know, how much did your dad teach you about the game of baseball, and how big of an influence was he on you? Well, I think our fathers were always a huge influence on us. I hope most of us feel that way. I feel very fortunate to feel that way. Um, the biggest benefit was seeing around professionals at this game and seeing how they went about their job. Not to discredit anything that he taught us or worked with us on, but I mean, you know, I got to see the best players in the game go about their job every day and, you know, kind of how they did it. And, and I thought that was hugely beneficial. Yeah, I, I remember growing up, I always heard uh, Hawk Harrelson had like a man crush on your dad. <laughs> it seemed like, how did, how did your dad and Hawk Harrelson know each other? Do you know? You know, I don't know how they knew each other. I know they did. Um, my dad was a very vibrant guy, he is a very vibrant guy, um, likes to talk, um, and has a, he's just, you know, deeply entrenched in baseball and loves to talk the game. And those type of guys kind of migrate to each other, I think. Okay. I love Hawk Carrollson, by the way. That guy's the man. He's awesome. Yeah, he is. Uh, So I realized while researching this also that your cousin is Mike Cubbage, um, who played eight eight years in the big leagues. So did you know him much growing up? Oh, yeah. I mean, same area. Um, He's my dad. I think he and dad are first cousins. So however that works out, I'm, you know, once removed or whatever that, however that works. But fairly close family. His mom was a Haney. And, um... Yeah, we would see him every winter. You know, he would come home from wherever. His farm was right up the road from where our farms were, are. And, uh, you know, he's deeply entrenched in UVA and has been for a long time. So that's, you know, we would see him every winter. So baseball, obviously, I'm guessing your first love. Did you play any other sports? Or, you know, was baseball always just number one and there was no 1A? I enjoyed basketball more, but was much more limited physically in that sport. Right. Um I played a little bit of football when I was young, but to be honest, we didn't didn't really care for the contact. Yeah. Um, wasn't very good at the contact. Uh, probably enjoyed basketball more than baseball until I probably a sophomore in high school. Oh wow. Okay. So, did you ever think about playing college basketball then? Not in a million years. Probably dreamed about it a few times, but <laughs> knew that I didn't have that kind of ability. Not even small college. Really? You know, I just I just enjoyed playing it. Okay. All right. And, and I, I think your dad was what? You you were eight or nine years old when he retired. Do you remember watching him play much? I do remember the back probably four or five years of his career. I was probably, you're close, I'm saying eight or nine. Um, I think he got activated in the 78 season, so I would have turned 10 that year. He started the year as a bullpen catcher, got beat out, you know, by Ray Fossey or somebody and then moved right into the bullpen catcher role or the bullpen coach role. And then a couple catchers got hurt at the end of the year, and they activated him for, like, the, the last 45 days of the season. Obviously something you'd never see happen today. Yeah. But um, that was the last year he played, I think. Okay. So you went to Orange County High School. Not L.A., uh, but in Virginia. Is, is it Barberville? Is that how you say that? Bar- Barbersville. Barbersville. Yeah, with an S, my bad. Okay, um, so as a senior, is this right? Eleven and zero with a zero point zero zero ERA in seventy three innings, and you hit four fifty eight. Is that is that right? A zero ERA? 
Yeah, it was a pretty good year. <laughs> okay, did yeah. you did you ever have any like unearned runs or any close calls that year? I gave up one. I think I gave up one unearned run. That was a phenomenal year. I mean, just kind of one of those things. Partly, obviously, being rural, right? right. I wasn't in South LA playing baseball or in Texas or Florida. Um, but oddly enough, that year there was eight or nine kids that signed professionally out of our you know seventy five mile circle. So we were rural. We weren't real strong in baseball, but but it was a good year, you know. Well, somehow you only got a 25th round draft pick that year, which surprised me, especially with your dad playing and everything, too. But, uh, you know, Milwaukee took you, but then you ended up going to UNC Charlotte. Uh, before we talk about that, uh, did Milwaukee take you as a pitcher or a hitter? And then did you go to college to focus more on pitching or hitting? I went to college to do both. I, I, I eliminated the schools that only wanted me as a pitcher. Um, so I went to co- a college that wanted me to do both, and, and which I did. Um, Milwaukee really, I think clubs probably back then had unlimited drafts. They could take as many players as they wanted to, or, or, you know, it wasn't unusual to see a club take, I think, 60 or 70 players. And I was more what you'd call a draft and follow. I had made it pretty clear if I wasn't going to be a high draft pick, you know, um, first or second round, that I really didn't have any interest in signing. And I didn't, right? And I don't think I would have, certainly wouldn't have been a first or second round pick coming out of high school. So... Milwaukee probably took me because of partly because of my dad, but you know, just in case I changed my mind, I think. Okay, so it was an easy decision then to go to to college. So you went to UNC Charlotte. What made you choose there? Just because they let you do the you know the hitting and the pitching, and they were close. They were closer than some of the other schools. Their coach Gary Robinson did a remarkable job of recruiting. He was a great recruiter. Um, that was what he was. He was outstanding at that. Um, my best friend in high school had already committed to go down there, so that kind of eased that decision a little bit. I mean, some of the schools I looked at probably didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, my last three schools I looked at were Virginia, Wake Forest, and UNC Charlotte. And you know, a lot of people are like, why did you do that? I, I really don't know. <laughs> you know, I feel very fortunate that I did it. Some things lined up while I was there. I met my wife while I was there, um, but probably – no rhyme or reason to why I chose there that that would, you know, sit well with somebody today. Okay. And cause that was kind of right when Charlotte was really starting to boom too, wasn't it, as a city? Yeah, people don't realize how big of a banking town that is. Right. And it was really taking off. Uh, at the time, I think it was Nations Bank, which is now Bank of America. Mm-hmm. Wachovia was hub there. First Union, I think, was hub there, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for a kid coming out of the country and to be four and a half hours from home, it was just, it was seemed like a good fit at the time. Very nice. Well, it was. You were a first-team all-sunbelt selection while you were there. You hit 340 uh, one year. That was eighth in the conference. And on the mound, an all-sunbelt selection in 89 and 90, uh, you still to this day remain the school's leader in complete games with 20. So what are your favorite memories of, I guess, of college in general? You know, I... I was afforded some pretty cool opportunities while I was there. I got to go play on two USA teams. Um, I really got a chance to mature. You know, I came out of high school. I knew I wasn't ready to play professional baseball. Um, I was, you know, really, really skinny, tall kid. Not really tall, but really skinny. Um, And I just didn't feel like I was ready to make that jump. And those three years in college really kind of helped things come together. Um, Met some great friends. Met my wife 
as I said earlier, and establish some relationships down there that I still have. So it was a good experience all the way around. Um, you know, I wouldn't change that probably. What uh, What did you major in? What were you studying? And what were you going to do if baseball fell through? <laughs> uh, I was going to become president of the United States. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, business administration with, uh, I'm sorry, economics with a business administration, uh, not a minor, but a, instead of political science background, kind of business background in economics. Um, ended up minoring in, in uh, psychology of all things. It didn't finish, so I can't really say I guess I, gra- I didn't graduate, so I can't, really can't say I majored in anything. Yeah. Um, but that was what I wanted to do. I, I guess I had delusions of grandeur that I would go into the farming business and be able to have a business background to understand part of it. But nothing that makes sense today. <laughs> Fair enough. Have you ever thought about finishing up or, or is that ship sailed? You know, it's sailed now. Um, I went back when I quit playing. <clears throat> My wife and I moved to Charlotte uh, with the intention of that's where she's from. She always kind of wanted to be there and I was going to finish my degree. Well, I started finishing my degree uh took a semester's worth of classes and about three quarters of the way through that semester my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer and i have the only grandchild in the family and i just thought i needed to be home so i finished the semester and then moved back to uh moved back home respect that man sorry about that all worked out you know my mom that all worked out so oh good um i i'm literally 25 hours like 25 hours away from having my degree and i you know i wish i had it for for other reasons, you know, one to not have something hanging out there that you didn't finish, and two, I would have enjoyed coaching in college, and you have to have that degree to, to open that door. Well, you're still young. Never say never. Uh, I used to live in uh, in South Charlotte. Did you ever spend any time down there, like in Pineville, Pineville Matthews Road down there? Yep, got a lot of friends that live down in that in that South Mech area. Yep, right off Pineville Matthews Road. Um, what a nice area that is now. Yeah, Myers Park. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know Stu Cole at all? I know he went to high school, former Royals player. Stu was, um, yeah, Stu, well, Stu went to Charlotte. Um, and Stu was the, I don't know if you call him generations, but he was in the four year class before me. Okay. So he, he got drafted by Kansas City, right? Yep. Yep. The year, I think it was the year before I came in as a freshman. It might have been two years, but he was like a full four year cycle ahead of me. Okay. Love it. And so he would come back and hit and, you know, be involved. And, you know, I met, I met Stu. He wasn't around probably as much as some of the other guys were, but um, always liked him, always enjoyed being around him. And he's doing really well right now. Yeah, minor league manager or hitting coach? I can't remember. Is he, I think he's a manager, isn't he? I believe. Uh, to tell you how crazy I am, I thought he was a third base coach in the big leagues. But oh, well, maybe he I is. Know he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's done well with um, – He's in the Rockies organization, I think, still. Isn't right, he? yeah. Okay, maybe you're yeah, right about yeah. that. Stu's done well for himself. He's 50, 53 years old, maybe, and has been in baseball his whole life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in 1990, the Expos rewarded your hard work then. Uh, you were a second-round pick in the draft by the Expos in 1990. So take us back to draft day. What do you remember about draft day? Were you expecting them to take you, and how would you find out the news? I had traveled around with my dad for two weeks, um, with the Brewers and had thrown in front of several of all the clubs that we went to. Um, they had wanted to, you know, work out for the club, I guess, or whatever, whatever was going on. And I, um, I didn't know what to expect. I had come into the year kind of highly touted and then I got food poisoning 
about a month before the draft, and I think I only got to start one game after I got sick, and that was in the that was in our conference, you know, game, and um, I didn't know how much that hurt, you know, so I didn't really know what to expect. I had <clears throat> I talked with Fred Wright, who was the scout with Montreal, along with the other whatever it was, 28 teams at the time. Um, I had an idea that I had a chance to go at the end of the first round or somewhere in the second. So, you know, we were sitting in my dad's apartment in Milwaukee, and it probably wasn't an hour. It seemed like an hour, maybe 15, 20 minutes after the draft started. Um, Got a phone call telling, you know, from, hey, this is, you know, Red Wright, Montreal Expos. Uh, The only thing I remember is how much – how quick that went that time I you know I figured it'd be great news an hour after the draft started it was great news I have no complaints but you know it was a good day it was a really good day and you had a a good first summer too so six and four one six six ERA Jamestown Rockford and another place I lived Jacksonville um what are your favorite yeah I I love that Jacksonville what are your favorite memories uh of that first year you know what sticks out most you know, oddly enough, probably getting a paycheck to do something that you would do for free. Right. It really starts to kind of settle in. You know, you have this dream as a kid. You know, you want to – of course, my dreams changed. When I was in fourth grade. I wanted to play football at Penn State. Makes no <laughs> sense at all. Um, you know, but when I got into high school, it kind of started to settle in that there was a possibility I might be able to play some pro ball at some point. And, you know, it all kind of culminates that first year. And when you get that first paycheck – it kind of it kind of hits home that hey I've I've gotten a pretty good opportunity here that a lot of people don't get you know and then of course you get the reality when you're coming out of college where you played in some pretty nice ballparks and then you're in playing pro ball in just awful ballparks for the most part right um, that's not today but that was back then right I'm playing in Jamestown and you know Oneonta and Welland and just some of the worst minor league ballparks you could imagine um but you're getting a paycheck and that really hits home yeah and then uh so 1991 what a year that was so you started uh with double a harrisburg and then triple a indianapolis six and four with a two four oh and then you got that moment you've been dreaming of since you know you were a kid so the expos called you up yeah, i didn't it, it didn't go that way i went from harrisburg to the big league oh made made three or four starts and then we signed um, well, I can't even think of his name right now. Pitch to Yale. Um, we 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 drafted a guy. We didn't draft a guy. We signed a guy who would. Uh, um, it'll come to me. So, so I knew when I went out for that start that that was going to be my last start, and I think I won that game, knowing that I was going to get sent down after the game, oh. and then and then you know spent I think ten days down and came back up. Of course, every time I went down, I went to, to Indianapolis. So I, I went double-A, big leagues, then back to Indy. Okay. And then back to the big leagues. Okay, so... It was a great year. I mean, you know, to get that opportunity that fast or that early in my career, you know, in hindsight, I'd say that that was maybe a little too quick. But, you know, pretty cool a year after the draft to make your start in the big leagues. Yeah, well, okay, so take us back. So you're in double-A and you get the call to the big leagues. How would you get that news, and, and what do you remember about that moment when you got called up? Where were you at, et cetera? Yeah, I was in the parking lot. We were getting on the bus to go to um, wherever Cleveland had their double-A, and I had, I, I had uh, some friends on that team, 
that's where I think it's where Tommy was at the time, and I had my golf clubs along with a couple other guys on the bus because you know we were going to golf on the day off, and the manager sent one of the clubhouse kids and told me to get my clubs off the bus, and I wasn't happy. <laughs> So I got off the bus, and I'm looking at the guy. I'm going, what in the world's going on? He said, just get your clubs. You know, and just come inside. The manager wants to talk to you. So I go inside, and I'm not in a very good mood because I, we're not going to be able to golf. And he says, you need to take all your stuff off. You need to pack your locker up. You're headed to Cincinnati or wherever it was that I went. And uh, you're just in shock, you know. I went from being upset to wanting to call everybody that I, that I knew to tell them I was going to start in the big leagues next week. So pretty cool. That's a great story. Pretty good memory. Okay, some trivia for you. The first hitter you faced in the big leagues, you remember who it was? Yeah, it was um um oh, this is terrible. Uh, is it Hatcher? Yep, Billy Hatcher. He's an outfielder for Cincinnati. And yep. He hit a broken bat, dork single over the maybe it was a double, whatever. It was one of those kind of broken <laughs> bat things over the first baseman pit. <laughs> And I think I got the next guy out, and then I think Chris Sabo hit a home run off of him. Yeah, yeah. And you're uh, – okay, do you remember your first big league strikeout? No. It was the pitcher, Scott Scudder. Oh, well, I remember Scott. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, I, so, so it was a nine-hitter I faced, right? <laughs> yep, you got, but you got him. That's well, all really, that matters. I was really blowing him away, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so, so what was it like playing in Montreal? Because, you, you know, at the end you remember that they didn't have a lot of fans, but I've heard a lot of guys like Rex Hudler say it was the most amazing place to play. What was it like playing in Montreal at the time you were there? Well, I think Sexy Rex was there a little bit before me. Um, it was awful. Yeah. Um, I was there. We had great players, right? I mean, we, we were – it was the Lionel De Shields and Marquise Grissom and Larry Walker and Pacero, John Wetland, who – recently got in a little bit of trouble, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, we had some guys that went on and did really, really good things. Um, we were all very young. I was younger, you know, a, a couple years behind those guys. But we would, you know, opening day we had like 17,000 people or something my second year. Jeez. And, you know, we, we used to joke about the yellow seats. I mean, you're an Olympic stadium, right? It seated like – I mean, it opened the Olympics and – whatever it was, whatever year it was the Olympics were there, 76 or whatever it was. Um, and you're playing a baseball game in this massive facility, and you have like four and 5,000 people there a game. Ugh. And it was just – it was a hard place to, to really get excited about playing. But I was a rookie, you know, so I was in the big leagues, and that's really all that mattered. Um, when you left Montreal, and certainly when I changed teams um, – you'd see what it was like in other cities and know how different it was. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, the second year there, 92, you made the opening day roster. You threw a complete game uh-huh. shutout at St. Louis on April 26th. Remember that shutout, the first big league one? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, it was a nasty, nasty day. It was kind of cold and dank. And, you know, my whole time, it seemed like the whole game I was just worried about keeping the baseball dry. And then, you know, I think I got my – it might have been my – no, it wasn't my first hit. But I got a, I think I drove in a run in that game. I mean, I had a good game at the plate and um, and threw my first career shutout. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, my favorite part of the interview starts now then. So you came over on August 29th <laughs> of 92. So you're sitting in AAA yep. from what I can tell. 
Um, and then uh, the Royals and Expos make a trade that shook up my childhood, man. I, I grew up loving some Sean Barry and, uh, and yeah, yeah, Archie Corbin. Guy. I love those two. And then, uh, but yeah, so you get traded with Bill Sampin for, uh, or not Bill Sampin, yeah, it was Bill Sampin for Sean That's Barry right. and, right. and uh, Archie Corbin. So, so take us back to that moment that you got traded to the Royals. How'd you find out that news? Where were you at? And what were your thoughts on that trade? Your instant reaction? Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend was in town, my wife now, and we got a phone call, you know, earlier in the morning, nine, ten o'clock. And of course there's no cell phones at the time. So I was at my apartment and Hey, you've been traded to Kansas city. We need you to come to the park and, you know, whatever, clean your lock. I mean, they weren't kicking me out of the locker room, but you know, it was, we need to come do some paperwork and yada, yada, yada. And then it was like, Maybe it was 10 minutes later that I got a phone call from Kansas City and told told me what was going on, and they wanted me to be in town, like, that night. You know, it was, Indianapolis was pretty close. It wasn't an awful trip, but it was kind of in a hurry, you know. And so we packed up the apartment, went to the ballpark, or whatever, whatever I had in the apartment, which wasn't much. And uh, we go to the ballpark and pack everything up and... And, and then head to Kansas City. The funny thing was, I was kind of in a rut. I was throwing really well, and just no communication going on. And I had thrown the night before, and one of the, one of the scouts, you know, scouts all sit behind the plate, and I'd thrown, it flat out dominated against whoever I was throwing against. And they took me out in like the fourth inning. And I, as I have been known to do, got a little huff and puff and kind of upset. You know, why are you taking me out of the ball game? So I showered up real quick, and I went and sat in the stands. And I knew some of the scouts, you know, through my dad, baseball-wise, whatever. Uh, Art Howe was one of them. And the Kansas City guy was sitting to my right, and I sat with the, our guy doing the gun. And, and he said, what's going on? I said, I just I don't understand. You know, I'm just frustrated. I'll get over it, yada, yada, yada. And he took his clipboard that he had, and he pointed to the symbol, the royal symbol on it, and he said, there's a reason for everything. And then I get the phone call the next morning that I've been traded to the... So he knew. <laughs> it was just... I wish I knew that guy's name. Just, you know... That was probably my favorite thing that happened to me. That was really weird and surreal, and I'll never forget it. So did you have any clue then? Like, did you think to yourself, oh, no. I'm getting traded? No. No, I had no idea. I was <laughs> upset because they took me out of the game. I didn't understand it because I'd been going, you know, the last five or six starts prior to that, seven, eight innings deep into the game. And throwing well, I had gotten on a roll after having not thrown well when I first got sent down to AAA because I had my, you know, head up my rectum and couldn't <laughs> imagine why, you know, I just all the wrong things going on. Yeah. Finally kind of got centered again, and here I get taken out of a ball game, and I don't understand it. You know, he points at this thing on his clipboard that has a symbol, and he says, hey, dude, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it until the next day. <laughs> and it was like, that was really cool. So... That's that's a great story. So okay, so the first time you walked into the Royals clubhouse, uh, what do you remember about that? And then who were some of the guys that kind of took you under their wing right away? So Jeff Montgomery and, and Mark Gubazal were incredibly, you know, welcoming to the younger guys, and I really hit it off with, you know, especially Gubazal. But Monty, you know, I, I, Monty kept me at his house for you know a few days that that late fall until I found you know where I would settle down. But, but going into that clubhouse, not knowing anybody, you're walking in and George Brett, and you know you're getting into a locker room that has, you know, one of the best players that ever played the game. And, and I had met George, you know, through my travels in baseball with my dad, but, of course, I didn't know him. 
but to know that you're walking into something like that is that's pretty powerful because not many guys get an opportunity to play with you know how many George Bretts were there it, you know it's to me that was like playing with you know Ted Williams or you know he's just one of the best that ever played the game and you know you're walking into that and you know, Kansas City's a great town. I had been in it. I had enjoyed parts of it. That was as close as I could come to playing at home. And the people are welcoming. The fans are welcoming. And, you know, the players, the, there was that kind of player that was there at the time, too. So that was, it was all really good. Well, you had some immediate success. Uh, you won your first debut August 31st, and then you threw a complete game two-hit shutout against Seattle September 22nd. You remember those games pretty well? I do. The first game was against Texas, and uh, what was his name? Um, the outfielder, Gonzalez, right? Juan, Juan Gonzalez, yeah. is that right? Yep. I remember hearing about how good he and Pudge were, and obviously had only seen them from the other league. And I remember throwing a 2-0 changeup to Gonzalez in a situation where I really wasn't trying to pitch to him. I threw it off the plate, down and away, literally for uh, safely a ball out of the zone. And he hit it in left center field in the tank. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, he's really good. <laughs> um, but that, I think that was the two runs I gave up. And, you know, I think I threw six innings. And, and uh, you know, another guy that was really welcome was Brian McRae. And I remember his dad coming up to me because he was managing at the time. And he had been with me in Montreal. And the first thing out of his mouth after the game was, you know, nice game. And then he said, I thought you threw harder than that. <laughs> I was like, wow, you just deflated me. <laughs> That's great. That's but, always um, what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh. love the man and, you know, that family's great and have no complaints at all. Um, the shutout was really cool. That was against Randy Johnson. So, you know, Seattle, you beat Randy Johnson at all. That's great. And I don't, was it two hits, you said? Whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, two hits. Yep. You know, whatever it was, that was. Um, you know, again, one of those things you won't forget. Actually, yeah, I won't forget it one way or the other. So, uh, Something else happened that year was the 3,000th hit um, for George Brett in Anaheim off of Tim Fortugno, who has a book coming out soon, by the way. Um, but what do you remember most about that night when he got those four hits to get there? You know, you don't get to see stuff like that very often, right? I mean, I had gotten to see one or two events like that. Never been on a field for something like that. And the thing that I think I appreciated more than anything, one, I think, was Rick Reed. Whoever pitched for us, I think, threw a shutout. And nobody ever remembered the shutout that he threw, which I thought was unfortunate. But the fact that George got to do that basically in his hometown, you know, he wasn't in – we weren't – obviously played for Kansas City, but he's from Southern California, right? Yep. And I just thought that was really, really cool to be able to do that in front of your family and friends that may not have otherwise been able to be there. Um but anytime you get to witness an event like that, other than the other time that I got to watch the one, you're really glad you were a part of it. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I figured we would. Yeah. <laughs> How, so was George pretty cool then? Was he one of your favorite teammates then too? You know, George was 40 years old or 41 at the time. I think I was 22 or 23. So there's not a lot of interaction like that. But, yeah, I mean, he's just a great, great example. Um and just an icon, and you just kind of appreciate, you know, the fact that you got to play with him as long as you did. I got I got to play with him for two years, so, um, you know, if you're a baseball guy, you just kind of relish and you know being off something like that. So he had three over three hundred 
in his last year. Yeah, he could have kept playing. Staggering. Yeah, uh, he he said he you know it was over baseball at that point. It wasn't fun, so he knew it was time to walk away. But he, I bet he had two more years on him at that point too, if he really wanted to. Well, I mean, he was obviously not at the plate necessarily, but he was a shell of the player that he had been, and he was still a great player. Right. You know? He was still a great player, but you you could see where it wasn't fun anymore, I guess. You know, but he was still a great player. There's really nothing else you can say about it. I think if he'd have played another couple of years, it probably would have been that much harder. You know, it's, I'd never heard him say what you just said, um, but I get it. I understand it. You know. Yeah. Uh, so '93, um, you started at AAA Omaha. You'd be up and down a little bit there, and I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, so about 45 minutes away. So let's talk about Omaha for about a minute here. What do you remember most about Omaha? Did you ever make it to the zoo over there? Went to the zoo every day and took a left instead of a right. So I went to the ballpark instead of the zoo. Um, never made it in the zoo. Probably should have. I, I always heard it was great, you know, just didn't do it. Um, had a great time. You know, it's not where you want to be, right? I mean, right. if you've been in the big leagues, you don't want to be in AAA. But I, I remember that being a pretty good first half of the year for me. First, you know, however long it was until June, I guess, or whatever date I got called up. Um you know, kind of regardless of how you always like when you do well, but kind of regardless of your, your – let me rephrase that. You always feel better when you're doing well, right? Mm-hmm. But you kind of get spoiled when you're in the big leagues. Um, I remember being a nice town. Um, I had been there before, but obviously never lived there. Um, you know, it was the first time my wife had been with me, I think, for a year, you know, for the summer. And, you know, so we were kind of playing house and – all of that was kind of firsts, really, um, but was really excited when I got called up, <laughs> you know, because I got to go back where I wanted to be. Right. Yeah, it was uh, Dennis Rasmussen went on the DL in May of uh, 93. So you guys uh, ended up going 84 and 78 that year. Um, so there was no wild card, so you stayed at home that year. But one of the things I remember most about 93 was uh, with Kevin Apier, 18 and 8 with a 2.56. What do you remember about pitching with him, and what kind of pitcher was he? You know, Ape was a Ape's a different guy, right? Likeable guy, but he is he is kind of set in his ways and, and the routines that he followed and the things that he did, and he was just he was just unhittable. You know, he he had that we call it a manhole slider. You know, just disappeared at the plate. He had that a little bit of an unorthodox delivery, and he competed. I mean, he'd get on the mound and he would compete. And anytime you're with a guy having a great year, and you know, you just kind of sit back and you try to figure out, you know, can I do the things that eight can do or what could I do to, you know, to better emulate him? And, you know, I'm just left-handed. He's right-handed. He had better stuff. Um, but it was a lot of fun to watch eight. And, and he was a tremendous talent. And when he was on, he was something else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 94, one of my favorite teams in Royals history. Depressing because the strike, because you guys were going to yeah. either win the division or for, guarantee, I think you would have won the division, but at the very least you would have gotten a wild card. Um, I know you were up and down a bit that year, um, but what, yeah. do you, do you, what do you remember most about the 94 team and that wild card and, and division run and the strike and all that stuff? Well, the obvious answer is David Cohn. Yep. Um, you know, with the addition of David Cohn and, you know, that was Hamlin's rookie year, so the excitement that surrounded Hammer Time. Um, you know, that was really the first time that I had been on a team that was competing, 
in, in that manner. You know, I think when the strike happened, I had been sent out maybe a week or ten days before the strike or whatever, maybe it was two weeks. Um, so that was all weird, you know, dealing with something like that for the first time. Um, but to be in contention and to see the excitement that great baseball fans, you know, that, that we had in Kansas City were enjoying, that was a lot of fun. To watch the hammers in the outfield when, when uh, you know, Bob would come to the plate. And then, then to watch a guy who I thought was a power pitcher playing against him and then playing with him and watching him throw every day, realized that he was a power guy, but he was a finesse guy. I mean, he could throw a slider for a strike whenever he wanted to. He had the split finger, work both sides of the plate. I hadn't played with that before. Um, had obviously played against guys like that, but that was a lot of fun to watch. Remember how he would do that Laredo thing where he'd kind of pause and go down three quarters and do that changeup? Yeah. I loved that pitch, man. Yeah, he's a, you know, he's a really bright guy, really cerebral guy. Doesn't get enough credit for that. I think he probably does now in broadcasting more than he did when he played. Right. But he was an artist. Yeah. I mean, he'd go out there and he could paint. I mean, it was fun to watch a guy that had a good arm um, work both sides of the plate, up and down, change eye levels. And that was my first recollection of being with somebody like that. How about that 12-6 uh, to 6 curveball of Tom Gore? And that was pretty badass too, right? <laughs> Yeah, now Tommy I'd been around and I'd seen. His stuff was unbelievable. And I think what – I didn't get to see Tommy in his heyday, right? Tommy was yeah. pretty phenomenal when he came up. And then Tommy kind of struggled a little bit there for a little while. And then when he went to the bullpen, you know, with other ball clubs, he became just, you know, unbelievable. Um, I got to kind of be in that period where he was clearly a big league pitcher, clearly had great stuff and just was kind of struggling maybe to figure himself out. But, I'm, you know, I'm a young guy at the time, so I didn't really know what he was going through. Um, but he had great stuff. I mean, here's this guy that's, you know, we'll give him 5'9". I don't know that he was in close to 5'9". But just phenomenal arm and great curveball. And it was like, wow, how does anybody hit this guy? Right. You know, just, I, again, here's a guy with great stuff that you don't normally see, and guys were – you know, I guess Tommy was at the time maybe struggling a little bit to really define himself, and that um, he really figured it out after a little bit. Yeah. Well, so the strike was going on. So I remember, you know, hearing that some guys got part-time jobs, and you know, you guys well into '95 with the replacement players and all that. What do you remember about the strike? What were you doing during that time? I was not on strike. <clears throat> I wasn't in the big leagues when they went on strike, oh. so I was in Omaha. Okay. So I finished the year out in AAA, and. Like a lot of guys that year, I I went to winter ball. I went to Puerto Rico that winter, and Puerto Rico that winter was like all all star teams, right? I mean, all the big players from the U.S. were down there. All the big Latin guys were down there playing in their respective country, and had a phenomenal year down there. Made the uh, Caribbean All Star team, and you know it's it's. Everybody that was from Venezuela that had any kind of name was on the Venezuelan team. And everybody from Dominican, Rijo, Martinez, you know, all those guys were on that team. And, and it, my team, you didn't know any of the pitchers, <laughs> but it was Bayerga and Almar and, you know, the whole Juan Gonzalez. And, and we were an all-star. It was unbelievable. They were all all-stars. So that was a great, 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 fun time, you know. And I had a blast. And then the next year, we you know we finished the strike, and I guess we went late to spring training, right? The next yeah. year, mm -hmm. but um, 
that was when I kind of started to maybe figure it out a little bit. Yeah. Well, so that was also the Hal McCray to Bob Boone transition. Was that tough on you at all? Brian and I are really close, and so that part of it was tough, although I don't think it was that tough on Brian probably as much as you would think it was. Was it a tough transition? No. I mean, in this game, I think you kind of get used to that, you know, that you lose your best friends, but then you have a chance of gaining some best friends, and, you know, I hated it because I liked Hal, but, you know, Booney was a really sharp guy, and, you know, the, the um, it was very different with Boone than it was with McCray. Yeah. Not bad. You know, it was just very different. It was a very heart and very passion and gut feeling oriented, moving to a very cerebral, very thought out, very, we have a plan, you know, uh, group. Um, not that one worked better than the other, you know, just, it was, it was completely different and both good guys. So, you know, uh, yeah, I remember those ugly, remember those ugly hats you guys had with the gray, the first year of Boone. <laughs> Do you remember those things? Yeah, that was it felt like a softball team <laughs> those hats were so bad i think they only wore them one year maybe but or two years maybe but i think i think you're right but i think you've seen <laughs> some ball clubs come out with some absolutely hideous uniforms I and mean, we had those powder blues in montreal yeah um yeah that was a bad hat it was a really bad hat <laughs> but you know i'm sure they sold i'm sure they sold a lot uh, of them. i had one uh so yeah. 95 man one of your best years was going you were second in the american league in era on july 6 you had a 2.65 um and then a week later you get a you know herniated disc or you know probably was going on during that time i'm guessing but that ended your season on july 13 so i'm guessing that's one of the more painful and disappointing moments of your career is that a fair statement a very fair statement you know i came out of winter ball that year and i felt like i finally really deserved you know, to be there, you know, we all kind of, I just got more comfortable, I guess let's put it that way. I finally got some confidence and, you know, I was, um, I think Pat Borders was with us that year and he and I hit it off really well. Um, he wasn't winning many ball games, but was pitching really well, you know, leading up to that point. Had hernia, in hindsight, you know, things really clear up. I had hurt my back in winter ball and kind of got misdiagnosed by my doctor at home in Virginia. And and then as the year kind of got on into a little bit of early May, maybe late April, uh, it started to get progressively worse. And I completely had the injury sometime, I guess, in the middle of May. And pitched a few more times. Maybe it was early June. Pitched a few more times with it and then just couldn't pitch anymore. But, yeah, it was disappointing because, you know, I was having a really good year. Certainly, the best year that I had had numbers-wise, right? Right. And to have it uh, go away like that kind of stunk. It really did. Yeah. But it was a pretty severe injury that needed to be taken care of, and that's it was the best thing that I had done. You know, I went from not being able to sit. Uh, I was really having a problem driving, and you know, everyday things in life, and you know, had instant relief when I had surgery. So very thankful that. They expedited the process and got it taken care of. Well, you came back. Something else you wouldn't see today, 96. You made all 35 starts. You threw 228 innings, which you would not see somebody coming off surgery do today. You had the, the fewest walks per nine innings in the American League that year, um, just 2.0 walks per nine innings. So 1996, what else sticks out about that? You know, it sort of kind of felt like an extension of 95 before I got hurt. Um, in hindsight, 
you know, absolutely my best year that I had um, was really, you know, you want to win more ball games. I guess I, I think I only won like 10 games that year, lost, lost like those in the teens. Um, and felt really good about that season and was looking forward, you know, obviously to, to continuing to improve and, and, and moving forward after that and then just just couldn't stay healthy. Just would have little this and little that, but was really happy um, with that year. Yeah, and then uh, and, and you know, hoping to be able to grow on it. That was the year I think that you had like you left eight games when you had a lead, and the bullpen ended up blowing it or something like that. There was a lot of them that year. What about uh, Tim Belcher came over that? What do you remember about Tim Belcher? Kind of uber competitive. I really liked him, you know, a lot. Um, you know, very Midwestern, um, very professional about how he went about his business um but man you had to steer clear of him on the day on the days that he pitched (laughs) he would uh he was very we're we're all competitive so that's not fair to say that he was the only i don't mean it that way but like he would be the kind of guy that would get upset about something and and like break a desk you know (laughs) or you know a tv and it was just he was very into what he was doing and was very very good at it you know and he was i think he had a really good year that year yeah who who was that was that joe brinkman who was that umpire remember the game where he stormed out and yeah. left a note was that yeah, brinkman, that was brinkman. Was that, that's what I thought. i'll always remember he that started off it, I, I think he got ejected in the first inning if not early in the second yeah you know brinkman was behind the dish and the strike zone was not Let's just go to our liking, whether it was us or just Belter. <laughs> and he had his back to Brinkman, and he was tying his shoe on the mound, and Brinkman walked out and threw him out of the game. And it was like, never see that happen, right? They weren't face-to-face, but Belcher's got his back to him, and he's saying his thing, and Brinkman's walking up, and Belcher's telling him not to come any closer, and Brinkman throws him out of the game with his back to him. And I was like, holy crap, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'll never forget that. But that was that. Timmy, you know, and that's what I loved about him. He was he was extremely serious and extremely professional about what he did and very prepared. Yeah. Uh, another guy who randomly uh, pitched in five games with you guys that we lost way too soon. I don't know if you remember this guy or not. I, um, in a, it was a, a car accident. Do you remember Kenny Robinson at all coming over? I don't. Okay. I, he, was he maybe not with me when I was there? No, he was there, but he, he, was, he, he pitched five games. He was a real short guy, right-handed, real quiet reliever, and he was there. He pitched Toronto for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if you go back and look so him up. Was he in a car accident? Yeah, it was a couple years later in spring training. as a 99 with the Diamondbacks. He Another teammate crashed it, and there might have been some alcohol involved and stuff. It was a, it was a huge tragedy. But Actually, I, I think I remember the accident. I remember that story. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to look that him was, up. Um, not quite as bad as the Bobby. Well, I guess his death is death, but the Bobby Ojeda one with the lake oh, and yeah. stuff down where we were in spring training, that was really rough. Tim Cruz. We, we fished all around that area, you know. Oh, really? We were out on Kevin Apier's boat, boat a lot. Oh, jeez. And, yeah, that was. I didn't remember that guy. I remember the story about the car accident, though. Okay, all right. Fair enough. I'm sure you'll probably recognize him if you look him up. So 97 um, was a rough year for you guys then. So uh, Tony Muser came in, 74 and 87. Anything about that transition to Muser stuck out from Boone or anything about that year? I used to do a radio show in town on uh, Wednesday mornings. You did? And they would call me, yeah. 
some country station in town, and I did a little two or three minute thing in the morning. You know, the State of the Union or whatever you want. Wait, I don't know what they call in it. In Kansas right? City or in? How are things going? How's this week? And they'd ask me questions. Wow. And we were in the new house, and we bought a house that year. And at 6.30 or whatever, the phone would ring every morning. That that, And I remember them asking me, well, what do you think about the, the news and your new manager? And I'm like going, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had... It was either on the All-Star break or right before or after the All-Star break, I think, when Muser came in. Um, and that's how we found out. And that was weird. That was really weird, you know. Um, I knew Tony from his days in Milwaukee with my dad. So we had a – I wouldn't say we had a relationship, but we knew each other. And that was a, that was a another big change. I mean, that was – you know, you went from Booney and then you move over to Tony and it was um, – you know, Booney's a – you know, a very cerebral, Stanford-educated, you know, guy. And Tony's a military guy. So it was, like, different. Very different. Yeah, he was the no golf clubs, right? Yeah, that was another thing that was going on. He really didn't want, you know, guys to be doing the things that they had done, you know, prior. And a lot of baseball players golf. You know, it's, it's very common for the pitchers to golf on their days off and not uncommon for, you know, the likes of, you know, even George Brett or Wally Joyner to be golfing on the team's day off. Um, Tony wasn't a big fan of that and it was going to be his way. So I remember Chili Davis with Tony. Um, and I think I've got this right. Um, what's the fine going to be? And I think Tony came up with some number, and Chili wrote him a check for like $1,000 and just said, let me know when I run out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. But Chili was a great, great guy, and that was – that was. but I remember that because Chili and I golfed together a lot. And yeah. Tony was different. You know, it wasn't bad. It was just different, you know, just different. Chili was good here. He had like 32 jacks or something like that for the, the Gubazot trade. Um, so, yeah, Chili was awesome. Yeah. He was. He was. I wish he was here longer. Ninety-seven was. I really, really miss Gooby. I hated that Gooby left. Yeah, one of my favorites. But, but yeah, Chili was awesome, and he really. Chili's a guy that every young guy should have to play with, because he really understood the nature of the game of baseball, how to play it, how to be a professional, and then, you know, how to maximize your downtime too. Yeah, you know, there's more. You don't just get team chemistry and stuff kind of at the diamond and at the field you have to you know there's ways to develop that away as well and chili was just had that in spade that's why he's had such a good big league career as a coach too um so 1997 obviously frustrating you had uh, hamstring issues the strain left arm the elbow you got in just eight games that year so the next year 98 would be your last year um with the royals and you pitched mainly out of the bullpen that year was that kind of difficult for you to adjust to being a bullpen guy yeah, I don't even know how much I threw out of the pin that year. I, I mean, I know I made a number of starts. I actually had broken my foot in 97, coming out of camp. I had a hamstring problem, broke my foot in 97, and ended up missing six weeks or seven weeks for the broken foot. And then when I came back with the broken foot, my second first start was against Houston, I think. My second start was against Milwaukee and hurt my elbow in that start and then really missed the rest of the year. So extremely frustrating um, anytime you can't play and you have to watch other guys play, and you, that just really stinks. You hate it. And that was 
probably my most miserable year in the big league. Wow, I I believe it with being hurt that whole time, and then yep. uh, so it, it's. I ended up, yeah. I mean, I ended up having my foot operated on, and I ended up having my elbow operated on when I left Kansas City. So I had two significant injuries that year that um, you know I don't know that I ever completely got over. Did you uh, even before the trade on September twelfth of ninety eight? Did did you kind of know that was going to be your last year in Kansas City? Yeah, we put our house on the market the first of August, knowing that um, that was probably going to be the, the last year I was a free agent, anyways. And um, my wife and I both had problems with it because we really loved Kansas City, um, but the writing was on the wall, and it was—it's nothing that the Royals did wrong. It was I just wasn't performing anymore, and was making a little bit of money at the time, and and wasn't living up to my contract. Um, and that's just the way baseball goes sometimes. You know, I, I don't think I was going to the park waiting for it to happen every day, but I certainly knew it was coming. Yeah, well, September 12th. I'm guessing by September 12th you probably thought you'd just finish out the year but, and you know, hit the free agent market, but then the Cubs come along. So take us back to how you found, out, you know, found that out and what you remember about that moment. I might have the name wrong, but Dermel Brown, does that sound right? Yeah, D. Brown, yep. Yeah, he came in the locker room um, early on that day, and I was kind of a guy that, for the most part, got to the ballpark pretty early. And, hey, we called up D. Brown. This is really weird. You know, September, you would have thought he'd have been up earlier than this, meaning the 1st of September, and here we are the 12th or whatever day it was. And uh, I'll bet five minutes after he walked in the locker room, I got called in the office and told me that I'd been – I was told I'd been traded, which I guess effectively is what happened. But what really happened was I got released, and I guess the Cubs picked me up or whatever, however that worked out. Um, I'm not going to say it was a welcome thing because I'd been there for seven years, and we really liked Kansas City. You know, we, we you know, our, Jacob was born there. Um, we loved the town and hated, really hated leaving. But, you know, I understand how baseball works and, you know, kind of expected it, but it still didn't make it feel any better. Um, but the Cubs were in a playoff run, so I got to go to a ball club that was in a playoff run. You had Sammy Sosa going through his, you know, 60-plus home runs that year, 66 I think he hit, and Kerry Wood was having a phenomenal year, and they were in the hunt. You know, so, hey, this is <laughs> a different environment, you know, and Chicago's a great, great town. It's not Kansas City, but it's a great town, and let's go, let's go see if we can go to the playoffs. Yeah, you uh, you got in five games there um, for the Cubs. And any favorite teammates from uh, the Cubs days? Uh, Traxel was probably a guy that I hung out maybe a little bit more with than some others. Um, Mark Grace is an awesome teammate. Um, the entertainment value of being around Sammy Sosa has to be spoken about. Um, I think the thing I probably most remember about it was the celebrities that found their way through that locker room, you know, after ball games, you're, you know, you're on the, was it North side of Chicago, I guess, or whatever, but you've got Bill Murray coming through and you got, you know, Shane Corson, what lead singer for the Smashing Pumpkins you know, oh, come yeah. through and lead singer for, um, for, you know, Pearl Jam coming through. Yeah. It's just a constant traffic. Somebody was always in that locker room and it was, a lot of it was, you know, they're the Cubs and they're America's team. And, and a lot of it was Mark Grace, and that was fun to be a part of that. Did you ever get to meet Harry Carey? 
You know, I think, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, obviously, that probably would have been impactful, so I'm guessing not. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, January of 99, you signed with the Dodgers and then got released uh, the very end of spring training. Then the Cleveland signed you. So, um, you spent uh, 99 and 2000 in the Indians organization, AAA in the big leagues. And so, here's the moment you know I was going to ask about. So, 99, you gave up Wade Boggs's uh, 3,000th hit. It was a home run. So, I'm guessing you were not thrilled yeah. about it at the time, but is it kind of an honor now? No, I wouldn't call it an honor. Um, you know, I really never know how to react to that. I, I'm, you know, Wade Boggs is a Hall of Famer, right? 3,000 hits is, not, is nothing to shy about. Um, loved George Brett to death. Loved Paul Molitor to death. Loved, you know, a number of the guys that I'd seen it happen. And, and didn't dislike Boggs by any stretch of the imagination, but that's one I probably could have stood not to have been a part of. Do you remember anything about the pitch or the moment? Yeah, it's on a really good um, sidearm curveball to him. The pitch before, and um, I see. I don't think he. I think he swung at it and didn't look very good. But I was like, I just got to throw a little bit better than that. And he probably won't swing, you know. But I'll throw that. It was an 0-2 pitch or one and two pitch away. Throw it farther away. If he takes it, I've set up the inside fastball, and uh, I just overthrew it. And, and it spun in there like a cement mixer. And, you know, for a guy that didn't – he had power, obviously, but he didn't hit a lot of home runs. It's not his approach. And it just had hit me written all over it. And, uh, you know, he hit it well and it left the park. That was all well and good. I think it was the kissing the plate part that I had issues with. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and he got on his knees and kissed the plate. But to be completely honest with you, I, Wade was nothing but cool about the whole thing. You know, he sent me a – a bat after the game or the next day said, thanks for being a part of my 3,000. I don't know how you take that exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I got asked this question, you know, a lot. My mom, of all people, decided at Christmas it would be great to get me a Wade Boggs bat. <laughs> so somehow they made a connection through my dad, and he sent me a bat. My mom gave me a bat for Christmas. I thought that was kind of over the top. But um, apparently, you know, unfortunately, that's. Fortunately, I was there. You know, I don't, I don't disrespect by any means the opportunity that I had that a lot of people didn't have and that they would have been given to be a part of that. Um, I'd have rather had the 3,000 hit <laughs> to be selfish. Right. That You have a cool mom. That's funny. Uh, yeah. So a lot of people, there's some diehard Cleveland fans that swear that, you know, not putting you on the playoff roster cost them in 1999 against Boston, which kind of makes me laugh. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> did you have any thoughts on that? I had, yeah, I mean, I'm not disappointed. I mean, I'm not saying that they made a mistake by any stretch of imagination. I think a lot of people felt like I would be on the roster. I thought I had pitched well enough to be on the roster. Um, I don't question decisions that are made above me like that at that time. They had a lot of good guys on that ball club, much bigger names than me that got left off, Dwight Gooden, uh, uh, Mark Langston. Um but the speculation, you know, and you start buying into stuff, right? I mean, I had thrown I – had, I had really been snake-bit a couple of times, left some games winning, pitched on national TV on, you know, Sunday night games twice, and threw great and lost on left-handed home runs, you know, to, to at the time, Paul Ossenmacher, and had pitched well when I had been given the opportunity. Hindsight's twenty twenty, man. I mean, the guy that I would have pitched in his place or whatever, um, uh, Burba, 
yeah. you know, got hurt winning a ball game in Boston. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt, it's not even talked about. We're up two games to none. Burba's throwing great or whatever, and he ends up popping his elbow on the mound. And that's really what led to it all. You know, and, and certainly in the end, the questions were asked, and I've seen the same things that you're talking about. Um, I'm just disappointed. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I totally understand the decision they made. I, it makes all the sense in the world, the decision they made. I didn't get to pitch in the playoffs, you know, and, and, and I never did, and that's as close as I got. So that probably leads more to the disappointment than anything because I, I could have, you know, been a part of that and, and maybe possibly, you know, been a part of, of helping that situation when Burba went down. Um, but that's water under the bridge, and, and I was glad I was there, you know. I'm glad uh, in 99 you didn't face the Royals because, you know, you're one of my all-time favorite Royals. I didn't want to have to cheer against you. But you did your one MLB game in 2000 you pitched against the Royals. Was that weird? Do you remember that at all? Yeah. You know, warming up, I was warming up in the wrong bullpen. <laughs> you know, just it's really that simple. Yeah. So I went out. I had been hurt that year. I had done something to the tendon in my pitching, my middle finger. And it spent a lot of time rehabbing that that year. And then finally when I – got called up at the end of the year you know I, I got cc sabathia came with me we actually got on the plane together and we came up so you know most of my recollection then is about you know him getting on the plane and not having clothes and this that and the other but um it was so weird going walking into that stadium and getting you know going down the steps and making a left instead of making a right right and and then you know coming out of the wrong dugout and then going into the wrong bullpen and in 99 i'm it was 2000, I guess, right? Yeah. So I'm two years removed from playing with Randa and Sweeney and, you know, McFarlane and all these other guys. And it was just – it just didn't feel right. Yeah, it didn't for me either. So that's two of us. So uh, 2001, you signed with Texas. You went to spring training there, um, got let go March 26th. Then you went to Japan for the Fu- – Fu- how do you say that? Fukuoka Diehawks? Close enough, yeah. Fu- Fukuoka Diehawks. Okay, what was that like, that experience? The experience was great. You know, I wasn't where I wanted to be, but I was at a point in my career where, you know, the contract was pretty good with Texas, and they wanted me to kind of go down and be down for two or three weeks, which is not unusual for older guys, I guess, especially when you're trying younger guys out. And, you know, I didn't have that much time. I mean, I didn't know how much time I had left in my career. I think I was 30, 31 or 32 at the time. And I had an offer on the table for the same money guaranteed in Japan. So I took it. At that point, it was a financial decision. Um, I get to Japan. Everything is completely upside down, you know, in Japan versus what, what we have here. You drive on the wrong side of the road. Of course, they say we do too. So, um, But I enjoyed it. You know, my family went with me. Um, the ballparks are packed. I played in a uh, replica of the Toronto Sky Dome. So... We were packed every night with 50,000 people. Uh, it was, uh, I had a hard time. I won my first two, made two starts, hadn't started, you know, hadn't thrown in a ball game for a month when I got over there and make my first start and go five innings. And, and then my second start, won my second start as well in the, in the, in the um, Big Dome in Tokyo. And then I get sent to the minor leagues. And I couldn't wrap my head around it, you know, pay me this money, I come over here and I pitch, I pitch in two games, win both of them, and you're going to send me to the minor leagues, what is going on, <laughs> you know? Weird. And come to find out, I'd really been brought in to face one team. Huh. 
geez, I didn't know I was going to sit over here and be on vacation all summer. But that's what I did. I pitched against that one team for the rest of the summer and, um, you know, enjoyed um, seafood and, and uh, sushi and and uh, kind of off-flavored beer. <laughs> what about what about the movie Mr. Baseball? Did you ever watch that? Oh, yeah, I'd seen that before I went over there. Actually, we played in that stadium. Um yeah, I mean, it was really it really fairly represented what goes on. I read a book on the way over called You Gotta Have Wah, and it's about Japanese baseball and and not about the, necessarily about the American experience in it, but about, you know, how they look at it and how they do it and stuff like that. And they got an 11-day all-star break, you know. Um, practices are like six and seven hours long. They were at the time. Um, you know, you you basically you have a pitcher for each day of the week, and I think we're off on Mondays or whatever it was. So it was very different. My second, first start maybe or whatever it was, maybe I threw six innings, I can't remember. But in the fourth or the fifth inning, they like have a timeout for like 15 minutes, and I run out of the dugout just like I had at home after every third out of the visitor's inning, the other team's inning, and I'm standing on the mound by myself, and the guys are in the dugout waving at me to come back in. And they literally, they take like a halftime, like a 15-minute break where Ooh. players go and smoke cigarettes and they put the cheerleaders on the field. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Just different. Comparatively. You know? but it was a good experience. I mean, you know, I, I did it for financial reasons. I got paid. And, you know, I probably would have fared better if I had stayed in the States. But water under the bridge. Well, your final year in baseball, then, you were 33 years old in 2002. Um, Red Sox organization, both at Pawtucket and Boston. What are your favorite memories uh, as a Red Sox? You know, I had gone in there for years and years as a visiting player, had, had gotten to see that side of it, and always wondered um, how tough it was to be a Red Sox. And I figured it out. You know, I... Overall, I think I had a decent year. I mean, I threw out of the pen exclusively that year. Um, you know, it was just it was it was odd because in that town, you know, I, I guess I got called up in June, maybe, and we were in first place I think in June or July. And every day in the paper, it's like, yeah, they're in first place, but they're going to lose, and the Yankees are going to win, and it's just like totally, you know, just negative and. You had some teammates at the time um, who couldn't show their head or their face outside of the dugout or they'd get, like, booed. Uh, one was – was it Castillo? It's a guy that's passed away. He was a pitcher for oh, Toronto. Frank Castillo? Frank Castillo. There you go. Yep. And um, he was in the bullpen, and every time he would stick his head out of the bullpen to do anything, you'd have thought he'd have murdered somebody. Huh. And I'm like, we're at home. You know, you expect that on the road, but we're at home. <laughs> and but Boston is a a, a a vibrant baseball town. It's it's not Kansas City. It's not St. Louis, where they have um, really educated baseball fans, where they kind of understand the game and they're into it and they like their home team. You know, Boston has people that feel like they're entitled to say whatever they want, and they paid their at the time seventy bucks to get in. And they're going to scream at you and yell at you and somehow love you at the same time. And that was kind of weird. You know, that was a weird thing to kind of absorb. But um, being in the playoff hunt and being on the front page of the paper every day um, was very interesting. Yeah. You know? And that was 
again, something I won't forget. Um, I enjoyed getting to meet the ownership and the GM and the president that were the, that, that trifecta of guys that were kind of put that ball club together, John Henry and his uh, his guys, and they, they would interact, and they were really, really smart guys, and it was fun to listen to them. I'm sure. But um, that was my second time playing with Manny. Um, Johnny and I were together on that team, Johnny Damon and I. Um, so that was comfortable. Um, to play in an iconic ballpark like that is, is wonderful. You're playing in a place that, you know, some of the greatest players ever, a number of them, you know, come through there, played there, uh, made their homes there, maybe put statues up. And that was a really cool time. It, uh, it was, that was a really cool time. You just barely missed the playoffs there, the World Series there. Yeah, that was close. I, you know, towards the end of the year, they wanted to send me down August 30th or 31st, whatever it was, to activate the Cuban pitcher that we had. And he had been on the DL, and I don't know that he was quite ready to come off. And I had been pitching, starting to pitch kind of on a regular basis and kind of know when I was going to get used. And, and you know, they had released a couple guys instead of me. And, and I thought I was in a decent place. I, I didn't have a wonderful year, but I was having a pretty good year. And I didn't really expect that. And with the strike potentially coming on like five days later, um, again, this must be the end of my career. So I made a financial decision and and chose to go home and just take you know take the remainder of my contract and go home. And that and, uh, that winter, you didn't have any nibbles. Huh? You didn't have any nibbles that winter then. I went to camp the next year with Atlanta. Oh, um, Atlanta sent me out on, like, the second or the third cut, you know, still pretty early in spring training. And, again, we see you being a, you know, kind of a, a longer relief guy for us in the big leagues. We've got two young guys we want to take a look at. Um, we see you going down for two to three weeks. And, you know, my son was four years old and was getting ready, you know, starting preschool and getting ready to go to elementary school and, and t-ball and all that stuff. And I had grown up without my dad being there because of baseball, although we've always been really close and tight, and obviously my dad was there. He just wasn't right. physically there. Um, and I, I was done. You know, I didn't want to do it anymore. If I couldn't perform and be at the level that I enjoyed, and I just didn't want to go be a triple-A guy that, you know, we get called up even in two or three weeks. Um, not that promises are ever kept in this game. And went home and and have never regretted it. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, I have a few last Royals questions. Before we wrap it up, real quick, uh, Chris Haney trivia. Uh, you were 4 out of 36 as a hitter in your career. Can you name the pitcher you got your first hit off of? Andy Bennis? Yep. <laughs> All right. Who? Uh, oh, you got to be fair, though, dude. When you only have four hits... <laughs> They ought to be on a mantle somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, well, true. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. which MLB hitter do you think you faced the most? 35 at-bats. Who do you think it was? You know, I don't know. Ripken, maybe? I mean, I think Ripken had like three or four home runs off me. I hope it was him. It I was, hope he wasn't four for eight with four home runs. It was Chuck Knobloch. Seriously? 35 at-bats. I, I would have never guessed that. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. Now here's one. This is a this is a good thing you can brag about to your to your coworkers today. You completely owned two Hall of Fame hitters. Can you name the two Hall of Fame hitters that you owned? They went a combined um, one for twenty six off of you. Was one Eddie Murray? No, I didn't. Well, I didn't see him. No, no, not not in my list. I hit. Was this, so beyond him? I don't know. Um, Eddie Murray, I did really well against. I thought. Well, so one for twenty six. This ought to be good. So Jim Tomey went one for sixteen. Okay. And Ricky Henderson was 0 for 10. Wow. And then you also, yeah. Bo Jackson, yeah, 0, for, okay. 0 for 6 on Bo Jackson, too. That was impressive, too. I, maybe I should have pitched against those guys more often. <laughs> yeah, that was you pitched up to the level of your competition, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, in, I think I did really well against New York, you know, so maybe there were some things if I could have just isolated who I pitched against and and maybe the team and the person, I might have done better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, my last... My well, I didn't la- know that, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I spend a lot of time. My girlfriend makes fun of me for being obsessed with baseball this much, but it yeah. pays off. Um, you put okay. this together. That's awesome. Yeah, well, my, my last four questions for you then. Uh, so when you look back at your times in Kansas City, you know, what are your fondest memories of being in Kansas City? Probably the people. You know, I had... A great experience in that town. The people were wonderful. I mean, it's. I've told everybody that's ever asked me this question, why? You know, what's your favorite town and why? Being in Kansas City was like being in Barbersville, Virginia. I mean, people genuinely cared about each other. You know, you run in somebody on the street, um, incredibly polite, Midwestern, you know, to a T. And you know, I had some great teammates that I loved. Um, a lot of them that I loved. And but that town was as close to home as I could have gotten. Couldn't ask for anything more than that. Which guys do you still keep in touch with that you played with here? You know, I don't do a great job of keeping in touch with people, so I'll lead off with that. Um, probably, I mean, rarely Brian McRae. Um, Gubaza and I will talk on Twitter every now and then. Um, not, not enough, to be honest with you. Do you, have you. Have you been back much ever since you left? One time. When was that? Just I came back um, as a player. The one time I came back and put pitched against, you know, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and I came back in town for something in this tractor world that I'm in, and I was in um, Topeka, Kansas, or some somewhere up in Manhattan, Kansas, Topeka, one of those somewhere up that way. And my wife said, you know, you've got this last day that you're not doing anything. You ought to ride through. And I did, and I rode by, you know, our house, and I rode by the ballpark, and, and I did that nerdy thing. I parked out in the parking lot, and I walked in the front door, and, you know, it's completely different now than when I was there, obviously, all that glass and stuff. Some guy was sitting at the front desk, and I said, dude, I'm sure this may come out of left field for you. I said, but my name's Chris Haney. I used to play here. Oh, I remember you. I couldn't believe you remembered who I was. I said, do you mind if I walk into the stadium to see it? I haven't seen everything. He says, man, you do whatever you want. Walk around. And that was Four or five years ago, okay, I think six years ago maybe. Yeah, the, how about uh, how about the renovations? I bet that was weird. Seeing you can walk behind the fountains now, that was Dude, odd, was right? Awesome, awesome. <laughs> what they've done with that ballpark—it's hard to believe that's one of the oldest parts in the game now. Yeah, I know. I love it. Um, what? So, what part of town did you live in then in, in Kansas City when you were here? Uh, what part of town did I live in? Is it Johnson? I lived right. Um, it wasn't Overland Park, but it was the town. Leewood? Hallbrook is in. I live just on... Yeah, Leewood. Leewood. Okay. Um, I live down near Iron Horse. 
golf club, I think. Okay. Like 150th and State Line or something. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in a development called the Pavilion. Okay. Very. And then, okay, so what's the best barbecue in Kansas City when someone asks you that? What do you say? Oh, jeez. I do know, and I can't think of it. Um, Gates? Jack Stack? Gates. Yes. I guess Gates I hear about, and it's somebody, it's somebody, it's a name, somebody else's name. Oh, Arthur Bryant's? Um, huh? Arthur Bryant's? Arthur Bryant's. That's it. <laughs> okay. I, I love, it's funny that people ask me here why I don't eat barbecue. And and I tell them, I said, you know, I had the huge benefit of having Gates and, and Arthur Bryant and having Kansas City barbecue, right? And I went to college in North Carolina. So in North Carolina, you have the, you know, the vinegar-based barbecue. And I really just, if I can't have something that I like, the rubs and the smoke that come out of Kansas City or the stuff down in North Carolina, i just just not a big fan of it anymore. But if I were there or if I were in North Carolina, absolutely. Perfect. Well, my, my very last question then is, what would you like to say to Royals fans listening right now? You know, I hope that they understand. One, I had a blast there. I appreciate everything that they ever did for me. But two, I hope they understand what they have. You know, they've got a wonderful, wonderful city. They've got great fans. Um they're, they're wonderful people with a lot of love in their heart that, that we don't have in other towns in the, in, in the country, baseball towns in the country. Um, and I enjoyed every minute I was there. 